Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. If people think that uh, the Bible's boring, they're wrong. When you read some of these narratives in Genesis and Exodus, let me tell you, there's no, uh, there's no writer out there who's writing fiction who can come close to some of the action that is packed in to these books of the Bible. We read about uh, Joseph, the savior uh, of Egypt. He had died. You open the book of Exodus and that's where it begins. Joseph's forgotten. He had saved that country, but he's long gone. He died. They forgot about him. All the Hebrews were multiplying. They multiplied so much that now the Egyptians, they were afraid of them. So they enslaved them. That's uh, kind of the uh, way of the world, right? If you fear somebody, you enslave them. Then what happened? Moses was born. Moses' story begins to unfold. The first three chapters of Exodus are lots of things occurring. Moses is born. He's miraculously saved by the princess of Egypt because all the boys that were um, born Hebrew, they were supposed to be killed, put to death. Moses' mother put them in a little basket, threw them in the Nile River, and lo and behold, the princess of Egypt picks him out of the reeds. And even his own mother then gets to nurse him. And not only that, she gets paid to do it until he's weaned and then he becomes a prince of Egypt. One day he saw one of his fellow uh, Hebrews. As he grew older and he went out to see his own people, he saw one of his own fellow Hebrews being beaten and he reacted rashly. And he killed the Egyptian that was beating the, the Hebrew. So what happened? This caused Moses to have to flee Egypt. He went to Midian he found a wife. He started a new life as a shepherd. 40 years he's there. And then Exodus 3, God calls Moses. What did he put before him? He put before him a bush on fire, but not being consumed. Well, that would catch anybody's eye. Out in this arid area, you see a dry old bush on fire, but the bush isn't burning. There's fire all around it. It's not consumed. And in that burning bush scene, God said, I've seen the misery of my people. Well, for hundreds of years, they'd been enslaved. God said, I've seen the misery of my people. And Moses, I want you to help out. I'm sending you. Now, Moses, he was a little sheepish, wasn't he? Did you read all his excuses? Oh, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. I, I stutter and all these things, right? There was this back and forth with Moses questioning God. I find that to be pretty bold, I, I don't know if I'd have been standing there in the burning bush and God said, take off your sandals. It's holy ground. Uh, Moses had the brass to talk back to God. I think I would have just passed out. I would have been like one of those in the Bible that said they just passed out dead. That's, that's what would have happened, I think. Uh, I don't know how he did it. He stood there questioning God. And God answered the man too, which was pretty interesting. And then one point Moses said, if I go to my people, they're going to ask, what's your name? What is your name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
Now, what does that mean, I am? Well, then we read this, the very next verse, it's Exodus 3.15. And Exodus 3.15 says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name shall, you shall call me from generation to generation. He began that sentence by saying, the Lord. And in most of your English Bibles, it will be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. This is my name. He said, I am who I am. It was an explanation of this name, Lord. It, it's a declaration, this I am. It's a declaration of self-existence. I am because I am, not because of you, not because of anything else, not because of any other power. And it explains the name that God shared with Moses. Say to the Israelites, the Lord has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the Lord. And it means self-existent. God is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. He was not created. There's nothing outside of God that he relies on. Nothing that he needs outside of his self-existence and his self-sufficiency. Now, to us who have been created, it, it doesn't compute. Our minds struggle to comprehend it. It is incomprehensible. But this is what he said to Moses. I'm the self-existing one. My name is the Lord. And that word, Lord, in Hebrew, it's Jehovah. It's Jehovah and it means self-existing. So the self-existing, self-sufficient Jehovah, the Lord who is God, he sent you, Moses. And Moses went. Even though he had all his excuses, he went. And if you continued to read through chapter 15, you read all the wonders that the Lord did before the Egyptians. And how the Hebrew people, they walked out of Egypt. These were enslaved people, walked out of Egypt, showered with the Egyptians' possessions. They were given gold and silver and all kinds of things. You read how they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. God blew the water aside. How the uh, Egyptian army was vanquished when the Lord said, Moses, put up your staff. The waters closed in over the Egyptian army. These people didn't do anything to conquer that army. The Lord battled for them because the Lord is God. Exodus chapter 15 records, after all these events, it records praise. Praise, I imagine, like we praise today. Exodus 15, most of it is song. It's a song that Moses and the Israelites sang to God. And then Moses' sister, Miriam, she sings the song to God. And we read, if you were following along, two other songs, praising God, and they talk about this incident of Moses in the Exodus, Psalm 105, Psalm 114. 
I want to look at Psalm 105. I want to remind us of some of the the verses that we read. The first seven verses, it's a long psalm. I want to read to you and uh, rehearse again verses one through seven. And again, if you read them, you know the rest of this psalm is all about God's wonders and what he did for uh, his people and especially that exodus. Psalm 105, one through seven says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob, He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. I want to stay with these verses this morning and speak to the idea that the Lord is God. That psalm opens with praise. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Glory in his name. Remember the wonders he has done. He's the Lord, our God. Then this psalm, it continues, continues to list all that the Lord had done. It's a reminder. The psalmist just didn't stop to say, remember, he listed out all these things the Lord has, had done for these people, from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Joseph, and then from Joseph to Moses. And he lists all these wonders that should be remembered and recalled. And in our minds, the miracles that the Israelites witnessed on their exodus, why did they need reminders? I want to ask you just to imagine yourself as a Hebrew slave. Imagine that you were enslaved. You're crying out to God. This old shepherd comes and he begins to uh, really, you know, irritate the king, the pharaoh, And now through that, you have witnessed, you've witnessed the water of the Nile River turn to blood and the whole land stink. I can't even imagine how bad it smelled, how terrible that was. And as soon as that was cleared up, there is a flood of frogs. People are swimming in frogs. Again, I can't imagine the stench, especially afterwards. Said they were piled up in heaps and the land stunk. Then swarms of gnats or lice come into the area. And as soon as they've, they're in, or as quickly as they're in, by the call to God, they stop. And what follows? Again, the Pharaoh says, No, no, it's not enough. Hordes of flies. Now, you all know flies. It is, you know, the Michigan State bird. This is the black fly. You know what that's like. Picture swarms of them coming in. Hordes. And now as, as these plagues are occurring too, there's times where God's saying, and it's not touching the Hebrew people. Death of the livestock. That's number five. All the animals and the livestock of the Egyptians they die, but not the Hebrews. 
Then the outbreak of boils. Oh, it reminds me of the book of Job where he sat there and scratched his boils. How, how uncomfortable and painful. And then a storm of hail. The hail comes, it destroys the, the fields. And it's interesting that there's detail in this. It said that the, uh, the flax and the barley were destroyed, but not the wheat because it hadn't sprouted or it, it, the head hadn't uh, sprouted yet. So there were still some, some of the crops uh, left after this amazing hailstorm. Well, then came the locusts. And the locusts swarmed in, a cloud of locusts come, and the detail there is everything that the hail left, the locusts took. Now remember, you're watching all of this. You're observing all this. One comes and it goes. Moses is praying. The Pharaoh's complaining. And then the, number nine, the darkness covers the land, but not the land of Goshen. There is light in Goshen. Amazing. Amazing, you're in the light. The Egyptians are in the dark. And then finally, the death of the firstborn, the first Passover. Your firstborn is saved, but not the Egyptians. And finally, the Pharaoh says, go. And you go, and you go, and all these Egyptians pile on their gold and silver on you. You get to the Red Sea. You're facing the Red Sea. The Red Sea's in front of you. The army of Pharaoh comes up behind you. Then what? You witness the sea part, and you march across on dry ground. I want to ask you a question. Will you forget that? How long until you forget all that? Are you going to remember that for a day a month, a year? What is the limit on your memory? It's three days. In three days, you'll forget. That's how long it takes to forget all of that. That's the limit of memory. Exodus 15, after they have praised God across the Red Sea, all these plagues, Moses and the people sing this great song. Miriam sings her song, the closing of Exodus 15. Exodus 15, 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's what Marah means. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Wow. Three days, three days, the Lord, the I am, the self-existent one, the Lord, he's God. He's God for a day. He's God for two days. But on day three, I don't know. I don't know. Confronted by bitter water. Confronted by bitter water, the people aren't, they're not saying, well, the Lord's going to take care of this. Remember the great things he's done. They're not singing their songs. No. God can't take care of this problem. We're going to complain. We're going to grumble. God has got to be God. You see, that matter has 
got to be settled. It must be settled. Is the Lord God only when he's powering on ahead of you, when he's clearing out the enemy from behind you? Is God only God on the day of victory? Is the Lord only God today when you're basking in some great thing? Or is he God forever? See, the psalmist of Psalm 115 writes, proclaim his name, tell others what he's done, remember the wonders he has done, the miracles of his judgments. So you remember he's God. He is the Lord, our God. Do we remember all he's done? And do we believe he's God all the time? Or after a few days, do we find ourselves grumbling, grumbling, complaining, this is foundational. This is, this is an essential. Have you settled it once and for all? Not just today, but every day. Not just this minute, but every minute that the Lord is God. I came across this article the other day. It was by a lady named Rachel Jones. She's a missionary in East Africa. She's a mother of three. She wrote this article a few years back. And what what inspired her to write her article is that she heard from someone in the States, one of her friends, and she read, uh, she shared an article with Rachel about moms. And moms, of course, they don't just focus on raising children. If you're a mom, you know that. You have all kinds of other responsibilities. And this friend from the States shared uh, this debate about moms who have a desire to do it all. They want a career. They want to raise children. They want to be the best wife. They want to be the best friend. They want to do it all. And so the question was posed in this article that was shared with Rachel Jones, are you mom enough to do it all? Well, Rachel thought about that, being in East Africa and a missionary and raising her kids over there. And she wrote a response, and she admitted, no, no, she wasn't mom enough. But the question, she said, am I mom enough? That was the wrong question. That's not the question we should be asking. She suggested that the proper question was, is God God enough? Is God God enough? So she wrote this. She said, is God God enough when my daughter falls from the roof and the nearest hospital is a two-hour drive and a four-hour flight away? Is God God enough when a beloved friend and a devoted mother is diagnosed with cancer? Is God God enough when loneliness and culture shock creep in like a snake and squeeze my heart? Is God God enough to take my best stained efforts at child-rearing and craft something that brings him pleasure. She had to settle the question, is the Lord God? And she did. She wrote, God is, always has been, and always will be God enough. See, this Rachel Jones asked the question, is God God enough? And I just ask it a little more bluntly, is the Lord God he can't be looked to as God when we're smiling. Only when light is, life is light and, and bright and things are going well, he must be God at all times. 
He's got to be God when life is dark and when life is heavy. And this is the trouble with the people of Israel. It was their trouble. They praised God in the good times. They praised God for saving them. We praised God all together today. Wednesday's three days from now. Is God still going to be God? Because three days from their praise and their worship, they were depressed, they were discouraged, they were facing bitter water. And all the miracles that they could claim, all that they could stand on, it seemed to have quickly evaporated. They had forgotten it all, all those plagues from Egypt, all, all the hand of God that had saved them and where the Israelites were spared. They observed the first Passover where their children were not touched. And the Lord said in Exodus 13, all the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Why did he say that? He, because he wanted them to remember. He said, this is for your children so that they would never forget the miracles of God. So every time you have a, a, the first male in your livestock that's born, you must sacrifice that to me. So you remember what I've done. And yet three days they forget. They forgot all those miracles. Well, those miracles are miracles, though they didn't claim them, we can. We can claim those. We can say that God did those as much as he did those for the Hebrews, he did them for us. And we can claim so much more. If you've been reading, you've read Galatians, the book of Galatians we completed last, a week ago we read chapter three, and it said if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You have those promises. Those miracles should mean as much to you as they did to those Hebrew people. We share in all what God did for the people from Abraham forward. But we have an advantage. We have an advantage in knowing the better plan. We have advantage in knowing the perfect plan. We have the advantage of knowing the eternal plan, the new covenant in Christ Jesus. The remembering and the recalling that we did earlier this morning, the recalling of Christ at the cross, our remembering of the sacrifice that Jesus made when he died for us, the final sacrifice he was, the final Passover because he was the perfect sacrifice. None need to be repeated ever again. The first Passover account in the book of Exodus, it was a foreshadow of Jesus and his final sacrifice. God didn't spare his firstborn son, Jesus. You're going to be reading next week from the book of Philippians. And I'm just going to skip ahead to a few verses from Philippians 2. They say this, that Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2, 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it continues, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name. The name, remember that. Remember the name we heard earlier. God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's only son, Christ, he died to win us peace, to win us peace with God, took care of the sin, took care of everything. He was resurrected. God exalted him. 
to the highest place. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Paul wrote in the, in the, to, to the Philippian church. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord, our God. Or is he? Have you settled it? This was the problem with Israel in the Old Testament. They didn't settle it. Constantly complaining, forgetting God. And this is the problem in the New Testament too. Again, if you've read the book of Galatians, this was the issue in the New Testament. They had not settled that Jesus Christ was Lord. At least not all the time. Maybe he was Lord one day, and the next day he wasn't. Paul wrote to that church, and he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. So quickly deserting. What does that mean? They didn't see him as Lord. They hadn't made him Lord. Jesus Christ wasn't Lord God. The Lord Jesus was not holy God, just partly, just sometimes. They were seeking other ways of righteousness. Others had come in and confused them. Paul wrote, you're turning back to weak and miserable forces. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and you're observing special months and you're observing special seasons and special ceremonies all to win you righteousness that Jesus Christ the Lord has won for you. See him as God. I fear for you, Paul wrote. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you because they had wandered from Jesus Christ as Lord. They had been distracted from this, the foundation. He's God. He is the Lord God. This is why they stalled out. This is why they were not growing. They hadn't settled it once and for all. And sometimes we get distracted too. Is Jesus the Lord God every day, all day? Is he the Lord when you wake up in the morning? Is he the Lord when he rescues you? Of course he is. When you've had a, a high time, when you have a testimony, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord when he answers and he saves the day, isn't he? He's Lord when you overcome. He is Lord in the triumph. Of course he is. But is he Lord when you're falling apart? Is he Lord when the, when the world seems to start to crumble? Is he Lord when the wit water turns bitter on you? And when that happens... If he's not Lord, what do we do? We seek our own solution. We seek our own solution. I, I know I have done that. I have had those moments of stalling out and Jesus is suddenly not Lord. Our own agenda, our own way. But God, the Lord... Jesus, the Lord, he is God at all times. And we have to get that settled. We have to be mindful of it. We have to put it into practice. Psalm 105, which I began with, I want to leave you with, and I want to leave you with 
quickly four things that you can take home. One must give praise to the Lord. That's how the psalm opened. Uh, David said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glory in the Lord with me, David said. Let us exalt his name together. So afflicted or not, heavy heart or light heart, great day or bad day, praise the Lord. Praise him always. Praise him in your private moments. Wake up in the morning and say, I praise the Lord. And of course, we come together and exalt his name together. Number two, in Psalm 105, it continued and said, tell all of all his wonderful acts. This is the one, this is a great way to build yourself up. Tell of his wonderful acts. Share what the Lord has done for you. Do you do that? He died for you. He brought you into a family, into his family. You're a child of God for eternity. Do you, do you recognize that? Are, are you sharing that? I'm sure you can tell of wonderful things that the Lord has done for you. All of us, I think, have a testimony where we know we've received victory and we can share that, recognize that others need that. They need that testimony and they need to know that Jesus Christ died for them. You know, they were sick uh, like we were sick. They are sick. They're, they're lost and they're in sin. They need to be won over to Jesus Christ. And people aren't going to talk to you like, uh, like they're dead People don't go to the doctor and say, oh, doctor, I got a blood clot. Can you fix it? No, they walk in and they start complaining about symptoms. Oh, my leg is swollen, doc. It's, it's, the color is changing. I'm, I'm struggling breathing. I don't know what's wrong. See, but the doctor is there to, to provide answers, right? And that's what you do when you share. Sometimes people, they give you their symptoms. They don't tell you that they're lost and they're, they're in the darkness of sin and they're, they're uh, unsaved. No, they say, I'm, I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I'm down. I'm, I'm dealing with this. They're separated from their creator. They don't know the cure that you know. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell of his wonderful acts. Not only could it win them over, it's going to encourage you. I have been called sometimes. I'm having a bad day. I'm having one of those days where I'm struggling to see Jesus as Lord. I'm, I have to remind myself. We all have those days. And I've been called on those days. Now I've got to help someone else. And I have to encourage them. And you know what encourages me? When you preach to someone else, you can preach to yourself too. When you tell someone else of the wonderful acts that God has done, you can encourage yourself and be lifted too. So when you lift another and you tell of his wonderful acts, you can lift yourself. Number three, look to the Lord and his strength. This is what Psalm 105 said. Seek his face always in the tough time, in the test, in the trial, the difficult situation, when you're vulnerable and when you're confused. That's when we're pulled to rely on ourselves. That's when we're pulled to say, I can fix it. I got the answer. I got the solution. I can write this. And what, what happens? I know in my own life when I've tried to do that, things have gone from bad to worse. When I've tried to be the solution. And then if I can't fix the problem, if I don't know the solution, what is our human nature? Well, we're standing before the bitter water, so let's complain. Like the thirsty Hebrews, we're standing before something bitter. The tendency is to complain. Now what am I going to drink? But what did Moses do? What did he do at the end of chapter 15? 
he looked to the Lord. And that's what we ought to do. Look to the Lord and his strength. That's what 105 encourages us to do. When we are weak, he is strong. Seek his face always. And always means always, even when it's hard to do. And the fourth thing is, remember the wonders he's done. Remember he created you. It's not the other way around. Sometimes we want to be in charge. But we're not the boss of God. He created us. Remember, he is the I am. He is the self-existent one. He is the self-sufficient one. It's not the other way around. Remember his grace. Remember his mercy. Never forget his sacrifice because he made the sacrifice for you. As we remembered today at our time of communion, Jesus died for it, for us. Remember that. Remember it. Settle it today that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Always, always, always the Lord is God. He's God here. He's God over our life. He's God over our church.